Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. If I miss the starting bell with all the conversation going on, then we'll just begin early. I mean, begin late. If I haven't, we'll begin early, and the bell may come yet. But I know there will be a bell at the end. Should have had one in the worship session as well. You'd have gotten out on time. Years ago, I had uh, one of our elders at the congregation in Maysville, and if I started getting close to the the time, um, he did one of two things. He, he would sometimes raise up his watch, and if that didn't do it, then he would turn around and look at the clock on the wall. And if that didn't do it, then uh, he would say something to me after services. Um, I one time was preaching at a place, and, and uh, very early in my career, now you've got to understand that when I started preaching, my very first full-time work, I was required to fill up 45 minutes of preaching time. Our, uh, our services were broadcast live on the radio. And uh, when I got there, they said, now, you're going to have to preach from uh, 10.15, which is when the services began, 10.15 until 11. Preach till 11. We won't shut off the radio until 11 o'clock. So you could have 45-minute sermons. Well, I did that for a little over four years. Well, when you get used to preaching 45-minute sermons at every service, then everything else seems like short, just, just too little. One of the elders in the conversation we had one time said, you know, can't you do like a 20-minute sermon? And I said, I've got introductions that last 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm glad to be with you. But they will ring a bell, so fear not. What is it about children's drawings? I know you've seen them. Do, do we teach children subliminally? Is there some uh, school curriculum where we teach children how to draw? their house. You've seen it. You've seen a page where your children have drawn a picture of their home. It'll be a little house. It's a two-dimensional two house, a uh, sharply pitched roof, maybe a door and a window in it, usually not nearly wide enough to be a house. Maybe a sun in the corner, a bird or two flying in the air, Perhaps a tree, usually some grass, and then, then the people. Stick men, and as, as is the case, and I can't do much better now than stick people. When my wife and I draw uh, little notes to each other, stick people are often in them. That's as good as I can do. And you'll see mom and dad stick people and maybe the, the kiddos and, and maybe the dog or the cat or, or the whatever. How do children see themselves? This is their home. Interestingly enough, child psychologists have a kind of framework, and when they see those kind of images, when they ask children to represent, draw the picture of your home and family, and when that comes out, 
the children are healthy. That's, that's good. That's, that's a, that's what they want to see. Because when they can't come up with those pictures, when they have unhappy faces, when they don't put that happy home and the sunshine and the birds in the, the sky, usually there's something else going on in the lives of those children. And so that's in children who cannot talk and tell everything. Sometimes you can find that there's trauma in the lives of kids because they, they see themselves in a different way. How do we see ourselves? In this class time, we'll be talking about growing in service. How do we grow in service? How we see ourselves is important. Researchers say that our self-talk tells us a lot about ourselves. We all have inside of us, I'm not talking about schizophrenia, uh, where voices are telling us what to do or harm people, but we have voices inside. We understand, we talk to ourselves, we describe ourselves as something. We have an awareness of who we are, and we describe ourselves. And our self-talk can either be healthy and good, or it can be harmful. Our self-talk may tell you that you're smart, or not, that you are capable, or not, that you are talented, that you have friends, or not. And how we see ourselves has an impact on how we deal with other people and what we do with ourselves. And whether we're happy or not. How did the Lord see himself? Can we know that? John chapter 13. Let's read. You've got your Bibles, right? John 13. Let's start reading in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Four interesting little pieces Jesus throws out there. Maybe some more if we we pull them apart into some other pieces. First of all, he says, I've served you. Do you know what I've done? I got down and Peter, of course, you objected to that. He said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. The Lord took a towel, girded it around himself, took a basin of water, and he washed the disciples' feet. And you've had lots of conversation about that. He served them. But he did something else. He not only served them, he says, I showed you to serve. I served, and now I have shown you to serve. 
And then he goes on and he says, and you are not above me. I'm your Lord and I've served you. Surely you don't think you're better than I am. And I've taken the very lowest place and served you. And then Jesus adds one more more piece to that. And he said, you're blessed. The word blessed comes from an interesting Greek word. It can mean happiness. It can mean fortunate. It can describe the idea of one who has uh, special um, favor from God. But it 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 is a good thing. There's not a perfect English word for the Greek word here. You are blessed, you are fortunate, you are happy, you are, you are better if you know this and if you do this. How did Jesus see himself as a servant? And when we find Jesus in life, that's what he did. How did the apostles or the disciples see themselves? Mark chapter 10, start reading with me in verse 42. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, now we're jumping in the middle of a conversation. Verse 35 says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to make us your right hand and your left hand guy. The apostles find out about it. There's a discussion among them. They're disciples at this point. They haven't uh, been formally charged and sent out like they will be. When the, the, the rest of the ten, the other ten, find out that James and John have tried to take the two top spots, the, the number one spots, they're unhappy about it. Verse 41, the ten heard it and they became greatly displeased with James and John. Now verse 42, Jesus calls the whole group together. And he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Now watch carefully in the wording of the next three verses. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The idea of service, verse 43, the one who wants to be great, he becomes your, your servant. The Greek word that is translated there is diakonos. It's from which we get our word deacon. It means to serve. You want to be great? You become a servant. You're going to be the server. But then he ups the ante a little bit. He, he, he ratchets, ratchets up the tension and, and raises it a notch. He says, okay, if you want to be, you want to be great, you become a servant. But if you want to be the top, you, those of, James and John weren't satisfied with just being in the upper, the top 10%. They wanted to be it. They wanted to be top, right hand and left. You want to be first? Protoss. First, chief, number one. You want to be number one? Jesus says, you become the slave, doulos, 
the slave of everyone. Now, most English translations don't translate doulos as slave. We have a a bias against that word because of our culture and history. But the term means to have given up all authority over yourself, to belong to another. So Jesus says, you want to be great, you become a servant, a deacon, a server, a diakonos. You want to be the best, you become the slave of everyone. And then he says, and that's, that's where I've come. That's where I'm here. How did Jesus see himself? He's with his disciples. He's in the room. He washes their feet. He says, let me show you something. It's important that you understand this. I'm here. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. I'm the Son of God. I'm going to be crucified and give my life for the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist described Jesus as. He's the Messiah, the one to come. But he's also there to serve. And that's how he saw himself. And it was hard for him to get that across to his disciples, but he did. And this was a lesson that Paul got. How do we know? Now, Paul wasn't in the group. Paul wasn't with that, the group in the upper room where Jesus washed their feet. Paul gets the idea, though, of service. How do we know? Read Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. A doulos of Jesus Christ, to be owned totally, without control over oneself. He is the, he is the slave of Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy... Doulas, slaves of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, doulas, slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. How did Paul see himself? Paul saw himself as, how could Paul do what he did? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? Have you ever thought that? How could the Apostle Paul have done what he did? How could he have been so devoted? How could he have been willing to pay such a high price? How could he have continued throughout his life to do all of these things and give up so much and to suffer so many things? Because Paul saw himself as a servant. He saw himself as a slave. He wasn't trying to take care of the things that were only about him but rather he was interested in the things that related to God. I want you to take note of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. And there's a phrase in there that we're going to mention a couple of times here in this period. 2 Timothy 1, 3. I thank God whom I serve. Now, let's emphasize that in a couple of different ways. First of all, how Paul saw himself. I thank God whom I serve. Paul saw himself as a servant. 
how do we see ourselves? If we are going to grow in service, we have to see ourselves as a servant. So that's number one. Number two, to grow in service, we have to love enough to serve. Service and love don't always go together, but they, they do when it's healthy. Interestingly, sometimes service brings resentment. Sometimes service brings frustration. Sometimes people who are in a position of, of doing for others find themselves struggling with what's going on in life. I'm subscribed to a leadership um, group, and they're always sending out materials that describe various aspects of, of burnout and connection in life and things of this sort. It's not a religious group. It is uh, strictly a, uh, a leadership and a business group. However, it's amazing how many times biblical principles are woven into those ideas. Because God's wisdom helps us deal with humanity. God's wisdom makes it easier for us to get along with people. And so people who understand people and people who understand service are going to default into certain forms or shapes and ideas, and those ideas are going to be similar to the ones that God tells us are good for us. And when we find ourselves serving and we have frustration and we find ourselves serving and we are discouraged and we find ourselves serving and we are bothered by it, then there are some other problems that are there that need to be addressed. Because sometimes service brings about things that that we'd rather not. I've already made reference to these two women. Let's do so again and start reading from Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Luke 10, 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Pause there. All right. What, what mental image comes to mind? This is not just Jesus. This is Jesus with all the people he travels with. And they have come to the house of Martha. She has a sister named Mary. Martha now has a whole bunch of guests in her house. What do you do when you have guests in your house? Ladies, that makes you responsible for them. So you are the host and you take care of them. And there's a whole lot of things required in order to take care of people who come into your house. You may tell them, make yourself at home, but you still understand there's a lot that needs to be done. So she is there. The people are there. Her sister, Mary, is not helping her, but is rather sitting in the living room with Jesus. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him, that's the Lord, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Can't you imagine the self-talk going on in Martha right now? I can't believe that. Sorry, no good sister of mine. All this work to be done, all these people are here. Can't she see what needs to be done? How little she must think of me. All these thoughts may have been going through Martha's head. You know what Mary was thinking? Wow, this is the greatest guy ever. I, I have to listen. I have to be right here with him. 
And you know how Jesus responds to this. Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things, but Mary has, has chosen what is good. Rather than come to the side of Mary, Mary, get in there and help your sister in the kitchen. Uh, that's not what the Lord says. So she's, she's picked the good thing. Martha's frustrated. Maybe she's going to become discouraged because of this. She is, she is serving, but there's, there's something wrong with the, with the mental picture of, of what's serving. There are many tasks that are required in order to live life. And unfortunately, sometimes there are inequities. There are things that, that, that don't work out. And, and when feelings of inequality bubble up in our relationships, Sometimes there's trouble. I have some good friends. One of them is a hunter. His wife is not very fond of his hunting. Had the opportunity one time to spend some time with his wife. We were traveling, driving up to the lectureship at Fried Hardeman. And uh, I'm not, try, try not to provide too many details regarding that, but we're having this conversation, and she says, can I, can I talk to you about something? I said, sure, and we would ride along. We've got time to kill. And she says, it, it bothers me that he goes hunting all the time. And she went on to de- delineate all the things that, that bothered her about that experience. And as we talked about it, I listened, and I was, you know, mm-hmm, I understand, uh uh-huh. I said, let me ask you something. Let's, let's turn that a little bit differently. Is this something that your husband enjoys? Well, yeah, clearly it is. Well, if your husband enjoys it, wouldn't you want him to do something that he really enjoys? Well, I never thought about it like that. I said, if you wanted to give a gift to your husband, wouldn't it be a gift that he would appreciate? Wouldn't this be something that he would... He would like a lot if you were happy when he was happy when he did this. Well, yeah, but all of this other stuff doesn't get done. And, and you know, she was looking at this from her perspective. And she said, all of these tasks are not getting done. And I feel bad about that. He's out having a good time. I'm still home with the kids having to take care of all the... He's out having fun and I'm not. Got it. Frustration. Discouragement. Trouble comes when people feel like it's not equitable. Here's Martha serving. Mary's not. She's unhappy about it. Got it. But what does it take to make that right? We have to go from the position of ourself to the position of the person we're talking about. And we have to love them, not ourselves. My wife grew up camping. Her folks camped all over the world. Well, all over the United States. I think she's been to uh, all of the 50, 48 states in the continental United States. Not Alaska and Hawaii, but uh, I think every other state she's been to uh, as they camped. I didn't grow up camping, but I loved it. And we started as soon as Libby and I got married. And in fact, we went tent camping on the very first summer after we got married. We married in December, and in June, we went tent camping for the first time. I came to realize that sleeping on a pallet 
on the ground is not like sleeping in a bed at home. And no matter how comfortably you make that pallet on the ground, we, this is before air mattresses were a part of us. We had a borrowed tent. It, smelled, it, it came from the Korean War. I kid you not. It smelled like old socks. It was an old cloth canvas duck tarp, and it, it smelled like an old duck tarp. And those of you who know that, it's that smell, you, it's that smell. You know, it's that, it has that smell. Anyway, we went, we had a great time. Over the years, as our children grew up, we continued to camp. We went in a number of different vehicles, but we always did it and had a great time, I thought. We were home one time from a a camping trip. My wife and I have a disagreement about exactly the circumstances that surrounded when this conversation took place. Both of us agree on the principal things regarding the conversation, though. And she's listening at home today because she's got she did something to her back, probably doing too much of my work. You heard me say that out loud. So we're getting our stuff cleaned up from a camping trip. We're at home and we're we're taking care of stuff. And my wife says, now we've been camping together for years. We started camping as soon as we got married. We enjoy camping. We love camping. We've been all over the place camping. We take our kids camping. And my wife says, I'm done camping. What? I look for a smile on her mouth. this This is humorous. No smile. No seriousness, turn down corners of the mouth. I'm done camping. What? Why? She said, it's not fun for me. I said, what's not fun about it? Go off into the the mountains and the woods and the, the lakes and the stuff. She said, you're on vacation. I'm not. I still have to take care of the children. I still have to take care of the clothing. I still have to take care of the food. I have to pack. I have to unpack. But now I don't have any of the stuff at home to take care of them. So I've got to work before they go, before we go. I have to work while we're there. I have to work to come home. I don't sleep at night. I'm always busy. I don't want to do this anymore. I went, oh. Well, can we adjust this a little bit? Is it the camping you don't like or just working you too hard? She says, I'm, I don't enjoy the experience because it, it makes my workload so much greater. Okay. So what do we do? I said, what's the solution? What, what do you want? She said, well, number one, we need a, I need a vehicle where all of this stuff can stay packed up. Done. Bought a camper where she can leave it all packed up. What else? I need to not do everything while we're camping. Right. My wife and I still go camping. Now, our kids are gone. That, that, that's a big load. We still go camping. But let me tell you how it works. When we're going camping somewhere, who preps the vehicle? I do. Who gets it ready to go camping? I, I get it ready to go camping. Who packs all the stuff? I do. Who cooks while we're camping? Most of the time, I do. Very few times Libby will pop up and make a grilled cheese sandwich or something, but it's my job to take care of us before we go, while we go, while we're there, and when we come home. We leave from uh, Montesano sometimes on the weekends when we go camping, and she has to go to school the next day, and she says, can I help you pack up something? Nope, you just leave. (laughs) Go. I got it all. 
I pack it all up and take it home and clean it up and put it together and, and we're all happy. Why? Because I want for us to do this and it's not fun for her to have an extra load on top of it. And so we figured out a way to share this so that it works out. Why? Well, okay, I do like camping and I want to continue to go, but I don't know that I would go by myself. I do it because I love her. And when she told me that I don't feel like this is fun because I'm having to work so much. You're playing, I'm working, I got the Martha Mary thing here. Martha's doing all the work, Mary's getting all the fun. Well, we, we fixed it. What is love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version, this verse. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. I am thankful for the conversation that my wife and I had out in the front yard of our house following a camping trip. Was it an enjoyable conversation? No, not really. It wasn't enjoyable for her. It wasn't enjoyable for me. But it brought about something that was necessary. I didn't know how she felt. I didn't know what she was having to carry as a load. And love means we need to be able to share and understand. If you love your husband, you will tell him some things from time to time that he needs to know to make life better. If you love your wife, you will tell her from time to time things she needs to know to make life better. If you love your husband, you will do things for him that helps his life. If you love your wife, you will do things for her that help your husband. You understand that, right? Yeah, of course we do. You say, well, that's common sense. Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 5, husband love your wife, wife submit to your husband's. They, they both are concerned with the welfare of one another, and when both of you are concerned with the welfare of one another, it, it works out great. Exactly right. And the same thing with service. Service works great as long as we're all interested in providing for the welfare of others. And when we love each other and we provide, then... Okay, so here's a question under the idea of how we see ourselves serving in love. Does love have a quantity... I mean, is love just love, or is there there big love and little love? Well, let's do a little reading. Gospel of John, chapter 11. Start reading at verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Why was Jesus troubled when he saw, this is Mary and Martha here described, why was Jesus troubled when he saw her crying? Of course, you know the answer to that. Because he felt for her. He loved her. And when she was hurting, then he was hurting. I've been listening to an audio book for 
last little month or two. And it hasn't taken me a month to listen to the book, but it's from Mike Massimino. He's a spaceman. He's an astronaut. He was one of the ones who walked in space to fix the Hubble telescope, the first mission and the last one that was done to take care of of uh, Hubble. And he talked about the, the very special relationship that happened when he became a part of the NASA astronauts. And he said, we suddenly became a family. And his statement, and it, it just rung with church as soon as he said it, he said, when I became a part of that family, if you had a problem, then they had a problem. And if you had a need, then they had a need. Exactly. That's the way we see ourselves or ought to see ourselves in the church, isn't it? When, when you hurt, I hurt. When you're happy, I hurt. I'm happy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's the way we take care of family. So Jesus is here. He's with these two women that he loves. He sees this girl, this woman, sorrowing over her dead her brother. And when she is sad, he is sad. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. That's not silent tears running down his face. This is weeping. Jesus wept. It was visible. It may have been audible. And it was such a display that the next verse then has meaning. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. What is love? It would take many, many, many pages to describe all the qualities that we might find in love. But love describes that that special connection that we have with others when we're concerned about their well-being, when we care about them, that we... We provide for others and we connect with them and we feel for them and we want good things to work out for them and that's how we grow in service is when we love someone. And when you, when you love someone, it's, it's not a, it's not a burden to, to do something. It is a, it is a pleasure. It's a joy. Still in John, next chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. We skipped over that part of the story, but you know it's there. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now let's look at some of the dynamics here. 
The family has gathered and they have given a dinner, a a gathering, a celebration for Jesus and Lazarus and they're the guests of honor at this gathering. Mary and Martha, family, community, who knows how many people were gathered together here, but it's, it's it's a big deal. While they were there, what, what place did Jesus have? How would you, how would you go about thanking Jesus for what he's done? Raised their brother from the dead. How many people alive had the opportunity to spend time with their loved ones after God raised them from the dead? That's a pretty small number. Mary and Martha understand the significance of how great a deal this is. They've got their brother back from the dead. Now, how do you say thank you to Jesus? Note card in the mail. Dear Jesus, thanks so much for raising Lazarus. Really? Okay, well, let's give him something. What what could you possibly give Jesus? Jesus has everything. He's the Son of God. How do you get... He doesn't care about things. What do you do for this? And Mary takes something that is very valuable and very expensive and she pours it on Jesus. And it's, it's fragrant. It's pure nard, which was a, a, a perfume that was highly prized in this period and, and very valuable. And, and from Judah's point of view, she wasted it on Jesus. He saw this as an extravagant waste. It was something that was thrown away. Mary wanted to give this to the Lord. Now, was it extravagant? Yes, it was. In fact, there will be other times when this is described, and and this was perhaps worth a year's salary. And it was poured out on Jesus. Was it wasted? You ever been given a truly extravagant gift? And maybe the first... Uh, response is, no, no, I, I can't take that. But if it's from someone you love and they're doing it for a reason, they'll say, no, I insist that you, that you do this. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to be the recipient of that, but, but you do it anyway. My mother died in 2009, suddenly. After that time, my father and I began to do some special travels, at least once a year. I'm a pilot, and I had an airplane, and my dad was a pilot from long ago. After World War II, he got out of the Navy. He took his GI money and learned how to fly. He took pilot's lessons. He was never able to fly commercially, and he only flew recreationally for a much shorter period of time than I was able to. And so it was something that we really shared together and enjoyed. So we went flying together. Well, after one of our trips, I get home and my dad has sent me in the mail a box. And it has a a headset in it, a pilot headset. And this thing costs well over $1,000. My dad's on a fixed income living on Social Security and the nominal investments that he had uh, his mom and dad uh, that they had growing, uh, growing together. 
And I knew this was, this was out of, this was no way. This is way, way, way too much money. And I said, Dad, I need to send this back. There are a lot of headsets I could have that, that are, that won't cost this. And he said, I want you to have that. You know why he gave me that? One word, four letters, starts with an L. Love. Yeah. And you can tell when people do things for you out of love, can't you? It, it shows in their eyes. It shows in their, in their heart. It shows in their mind. This isn't a labor. This is love. And when we serve one another in love, it, it's so obvious. Oh, I heard that. Was that the first or second? Okay, that's good. I thank God whom I serve. I thank, Paul says. That's our second reference to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve. That was our first reference. I thank God. Paul is grateful for the opportunity to be doing this. Now, we need to rush a lot. Reality check. Sometimes we serve by obligation, right? We do things because we have to, not because we want to, and sometimes we lack a desire. Who do you see yourself serving? What? Well, I serve my kids, I serve my husband, my wife, I serve my boss, I serve my community, I serve my church. Who do you see yourself serving? Well, I just told you the list. Let's work on that list. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve. Who was Paul serving? God. When was Paul serving God? All the time. When he served other people, he was still serving God. There's a phrase in counseling, we call it cognitive reframing. What that means is you take a situation or circumstance and you, you alter the conditions and you see it from a different point of view. You see it somewhere else. With as much time as we've got remaining, let's reframe some things. Ephesians chapter 6. And I don't have an electronic Bible, so I've got to turn. So it's hard for me to do it and talk. So Ephesians chapter 6, let's start reading verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Here's Paul talking to, to slaves, servants. He says, Don't see yourself as serving these men. See yourself as serving God. Now do your job serving God. John chapter 21. Start in verse 15. John 21 is the last conversation Jesus is going to have with with Peter. And it's about that conversation that this happened. John 21, 15. So when they had eaten... Breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, you're going, so what? What does that have to do with our conversation? Do you love the Lord? This means yes, this means no. Do you love the Lord? Of course you do. Yes. What would the Lord tell you to do if you love the Lord? Do you love me? Take care of these. Three times. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that we love you. Then take care of these. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know we love you. Then take care of these. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Matthew chapter 25, judgment scene. Nations are gathered. People are divided as a shepherd does the sheep from the goats. And those who are righteous on the right hand, the Lord says, come into the place prepared for you from the foundation of the world because I was sick and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And they said, when, Lord, when did we see you like this? When did we see you naked or in need or in sick or in prison? What was the Lord's response? When you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. You want to grow in service? How do you see yourself? You see yourself as only taking care of your own things or things of God? How do you see yourself as a servant or as the top of the heap? How do you see yourself as washing the feet of the Lord, as providing for the things that God has? When we reframe our service to see that what we do for others is for the Lord, then our service will not become a frustration. It will not become a discouragement. Rather, it will be that which we do well. Ultimate reframing. I heard that bell. Luke chapter 15. Prodigal son leaves home, wastes his father's material wealth, comes to himself in the pig pen, and comes home. And now he is totally changed. He sees himself in a totally different way. And he says, I am no longer fit to be your son. I just want to serve. And the father says, Put a ring on his hand, put a robe on his back, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. This is my son. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. When we find our way to service, we're going to find our way to growing into what God really wants us to be, serving him. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.